one of the most unique podcasts on the planet. Hey, Bus Driver. Hey, Bus Driver. Hey, Bus Driver, the show about everything related to student transportation. If you're a student transportation professional, you've found your show. Hey, Bus Driver, exploring the entire school transportation universe, talking to interesting and inspiring people, exchanging ideas, promoting student transportation industry growth, and sharing a few funny stories along the way. Now, live from Phoenix, Arizona, this is Hey, Bus Driver, and this is Jason Nelson. try this out and see what happens with uh, our new Google platform uh, using Google Meets for a podcast. So uh, I have Stephanie Arbaugh with the trust and Kaylee Sorensen also with the trust. I'll wave Hi. at you if they can't see you, but I'll wave. So uh, thanks for joining me today to talk about um, just a little bit of everything. So um, it's nice to see your face. Yeah. Hi, Kaylee. Hi, I'm excited to kind of see how this works because now, you know, I've been working with um, the cell phone doing conference calls. And so it's very hard to communicate to people with uh, not knowing when to interject a comment or not. And so now I can actually see who I'm talking to and maybe try and limit those painless pauses. So painful pauses. Yeah. So Google Meet, I... I think it's turned out pretty good. I think it's an extension of Google Hangouts, and I just saw some commercials recently. Have you seen those commercials for Google Google Meet? I haven't seen commercials. I've seen like a little flag on my Gmail. Like, yeah, it's hey, Google's answer. Google. Google's answer to Zoom. So, um, and obviously, since we've all been using some sort of virtual meeting for the last three months, seems like, right? We've all been getting yeah. used getting used to this technology. How many people can join one of these? It says up to 250. Dang. So, yeah. I was wow. actually, I, now that might be because it's the business. I, I'm bought the business plan for like 12 bucks a month or something like that, which actually isn't bad for, you know, comes with so many other things in the Google suite. So, um, but I think it was free up to a hundred people just for their regular platform. But I, I think I did some reading that it was only available for free until September. So my buddies and I have been trying to use a different video platform to do happy hours. So we've done <laughs> Zoom and Google Hangouts. We've tried Google Meet. I think we're going to try the, did you see Facebook did a, like a Facebook rooms now where you can do like I saw a room that. on I Facebook. So just see what works. I think it's creative how everybody's coming together to come up with these ways to virtually get together and not cost people money so so do you think all of this this uh electronic platform would have caught on as quickly as it has unless we had been forced to find it no way i mean when you just yeah when you look at what we've been trying to promote as far as technology even in my own department it's been such a struggle just to get people to even log onto the computer and now that they've been really forced to because that's the way to go to work now or has been um i think that it really it was like ripping off that band-aid you know so sure i mean you guys had sure. how many people total in your summer meeting or your your meetings that you did 
your trainings? Oh, our online training, mm-hmm. we had more than 13,700 people. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, when you think about that's eight, we have what, 8,000 bus drivers in the state of Arizona. So mm-hmm. obviously there's probably duplicates of people that are wanting to come to every single meeting. But just for when you talk about the outreach, I think is that's a pretty substantial number of people that are getting content now. So what were what were some of the challenges that you guys ran into, you know, kind of creating on the fly? Uh technology um there are three of us on the team and only one of us had a laptop that could handle the program so everything was run through my laptop and the other two staff members had to kind of um sign into my laptop and use it that way so that was the first challenge the second challenge was a lot of the attendees were afraid of the technology, didn't want to download another app, didn't want to create a new account and have to remember another password. And so we answered a, a lot of those questions. Do I have to create a new account? You know, what do I have to do? And and so we learned quickly, we had to explain that your class is online, all you need to do is click here. And without doing any registering or, or, well, they had to register for the class, but without having to sign up for anything, they were led right to the classroom. And I think once people understand the process and and that it works and it's not that painless, they were more likely to use it. So, so that was interesting. Did you guys have to download a Google app in order to log into this meeting? No. So I was going to use browser. my cell phone. Yeah. I was going to use my cell phone and it was requiring me to um, download the Google app. So I clicked on the link on my laptop and it took me right here. Nice. So I guess it depends on what type of device you're using. That's good to know. I was sampling it earlier and found that you had to use it. If you were using mobile, you had to use the app. So I'm wondering if that has to do with Google and Apple, you know, being the issue. So sure. But, uh, do you guys have any plans for summer for more content since now? And do you see if do you think those numbers will drop at all now that everybody's on summer break? Well, yes, I do. We do have plans and yes, I do expect it to drop because part of the motivation and I really believe that we offered the online classes right at the right time meeting a need. A lot of districts required that the drivers participate in some sort of training. So they were motivated by wanting a paycheck and needing, you know, needing to show they're doing professional development to their school district. So that was part of it that, that I think people were motivated to attend externally. And then the classes that we're offering ongoing now, um, we got such good feedback about it being very easy to use and could we offer more of it that we're just offering weekly online classes and we're tailoring the classes to what the districts want for their drivers. So each week we have three or four districts participating in the same group of classes and and the, I mean, the summer's filling up. So somewhere along the way, whether it's summer school or summer break or whatever it is, we're having enough interest that we're filling up the summer. So I th- 
it's just an easy an easy platform i think do you think that will limit what uh how much you guys travel around the state a large part of our budget does go towards um mileage and travel and hotel and eating out and here's a way that we can be good stewards for our district if we do online training it means we can do it from our home and still offer the same caliber of training kaylee is your program going to change because of this and that's what will be really hard to tell just because there is a component of some of my training that really requires being more hands-on. Um, it requires breaking out into groups and having that group discussion. And I'm kind of doing a trial run with one of my districts on Monday to do that electronically just to kind of see how that can work. But that's also a very small district that doesn't need to necessarily break up into groups. So we could utilize, you know, tele-remote options for training in the future, and that's having just more of like static training and listen training. But for those trainings that require you to be hands-on, I don't know quite yet what that will look like um, on the virtual setting. It might require districts to do kind of some homework prior to the training and have things prepared. Uh, so we're exploring a lot of different options, but it's definitely allowing us to guide get more creative with it got it and for the listeners what exactly do you do uh at the trust and what does that uh hands-on training kind of look like for a district yeah so i am the trust emergency management consultant so i help districts with all of their emergency operations planning needs so that can look very different depending on what districts need there's some districts that have no idea whether or not they have a plan that's updated that meets requirements and maybe if they do have one it's 10 years old outdated so i can kind of coach them through the planning process help get them jump started and ready to go others that maybe have something in place but they're wanting to test it or test certain aspects of it or find vulnerabilities and weaknesses we can do trainings exercises um, what i kind of referred to earlier was like tabletop exercises so those are discussion-based exercises and that is really interactive. And so breaking up into individual teams within your district and talking through scenarios and seeing how your plan fits those scenarios. So, and everything in between, helping assess your drills, see how effective they are, um, help you with reunification planning, uh, getting kind of in the meat of your plan and seeing what else you need to do. Where do you go from here? So what what did um, all of the COVID uh, operation, you know, just the situation that came up, how many people were like reaching out going, Kaylee, uh, we are severely in need of some help. And obviously no names, but just how busy have you been since May, um, the first of March kind of leading into this? I know my district was really kind of monitoring this since January, um, Mm -hmm. and really starting to plan before we really, any of us knew, really what was going on um, and starting to get a plan together. So really I'm assuming when the governor made the announcement that schools would be closed, at least for the, you know, indefinite period of time, what, what kind of outreach were you getting and and how busy have you been with helping districts kind of manage through this? Yeah, I've been very busy. Um, I always liken it to whenever the focus, the buzzword for schools prior to COVID was always active shooter. So whenever there was an active shooter in a school setting, I would get 
a large influx of calls and requests for trainings and review our plans, please. Um, so I've, I'm used to that. Whenever there's a disaster that can be applicable here, I'll get that increase in requests. Um, and COVID wasn't any different, especially because pandemic planning was always more on the back burner for schools. Um, ADHS always had a great relationship, Arizona Department of Health Services, sorry, always had a great relationship with the Arizona Department of Education. And they uh, do a lot of exercise planning and things like that, that a lot of districts probably aren't aware of. Um, so luckily they had a lot in place and a lot of coordination and a lot of planning on the higher levels. I just don't know how well that trickled down. Um, so some districts knew where to find that information and pandemic planning assistance, others didn't. So it's just a matter of calling me, pointing them in the right direction um, and sharing of resources that were already available because we don't want districts having to create something if there's already good tools and resources. So that was a lot of what I was doing. I also work and help facilitate what we call these regional based security consortiums. And so um, there's five around the state and they all are school administrators and community response partners. So law enforcement, fire, and they all meet quarterly to discuss emergency management in schools. And so because I had that network built in, so whether you're a small district or a large, you know, larger districts might have a, a person dedicated to the emergency operations at their district, a smaller district, they might have that person, but they're also leading, you know, cafeteria duty and a thousand other things in between. Um, so these consortiums kind of help spread the word to those that are at least responsible for that at their district. And so we could easily push out information that was critical to them. Um, and they were a little bit more in the know and have some relationships already established with their community partners to get the help that they needed. Nice. Um, so in the security consortium, how many transportation people are actually a part of those five groups? That is a great question. Um, and I don't know. Occasionally, we all of them have different agendas. And so sometimes if we have a topic and we push out the agendas prior to the meeting, and if there's a topic that's more geared towards transportation, um, like I know we, it was probably a year and a half or two years ago, we had some topics about active shooters on buses and creating protocols for that. And so it was like an hour presentation on that. Um, so I know that there was more transportation folks there district rep that usually attended those meetings would forward it on. And so they kind of brought more of a team approach. Um, so I know that's happened, but the regular attendees, probably not a lot. It's open to anyone. They're free to attend. And of course we sponsor lunch because that's how you get people to attend is give them food. Uh, so it's usually, you know, three to four hours and you get free lunch, you get good, easy training and you get a network. So are those hands, I, also hands-on type activities or do you see that more these consortiums might move to this more virtual platform you know I, I just look at what we've done through TAA transportation administrators of Arizona you know with some of our region meetings and some of the other things that require people to travel during the week you know uh, our bus drivers or even supervisors, trainers don't always have an opportunity to go to something like that because it is in the middle of the day or during times when we need to drive school buses. So um, would there be an opportunity or do you see any anything in the works to maybe move 
at least of one to a cons- you know a virtual consortium to where people that couldn't make it could attend virtually instead. And that's definitely been a common topic of discussion for our consortium heads. Um, in the past, we've always been hesitant to do it just because one of the biggest benefits of the consortiums is the networking that's available. So many districts will send someone and they're new at the district. That district's done nothing for emergency operations. And so they're able to easily connect with those other districts there and say, well, what are you doing about reunification? Because I've got nothing. Um, I did a drill and it failed miserably. What do you recommend? So taking away that face-to-face and that networking um, is problematic. But COVID has also taught us that we really need to be thinking outside the box and allowing for tele-opportunities. So I don't imagine kind of shifting... And it's always been a part of the trust loyalty credit, too, to attend one of these. Um, so that piece would probably still COVID not considered. If we were just in normal operations, we'd probably still try and encourage districts to attend in person when possible. But I can imagine us starting to offer, you know, a couple meetings a year where it's a separate agenda set up just for the tele um, and Zoom type meetings or webinars. Steph, do you see like lit going to a virtual model? Or still trying to travel around the state? Well, I've been marinating on that because unless if you if you do something ahead of time and record it, you can't verify and guarantee that people who say they're going to attend actually do. So there's that that live versus recorded aspect. And then if it is if it is live and like Kaylee brought up like a loyalty credit or some sort of a discount involved with attendance. How do you guarantee that someone who is, who is maybe at home actually participating and paying attention and getting the details that you need? um, You know, how do you answer those questions? I, I think it's, I think for bus world, it's possible if we're talking about theories and training that does not involve hands-on training for sure. I don't, I don't see why not. It's yeah, just a matter of coming the up, having the, the conversation and coming up with the answers. Sure, yeah. the behind the wheel piece would be difficult, I think. Sure. Unless you got somebody, I guess, walking around with a their camera from Zoom and just like literally filming, okay, we're, this is what we're doing with the bus, you know? Sure, so, sure. But yeah. like Tommy, Tommy talks about those kinesthetic learners who, sure. you know, need that hands-on tangible piece of it. Mm-hmm. They would be missing a key component of the training. Right. So if we take the behind the wheel part out of it, you know, if you and I were in a class, the three of us right now were in a class, um, I would get something out of it because I can see you. You could sure. say, I could hold something up and say, hey, do you see this? This is what I'm doing. And and you could both, we could still be sharing ideas. When you get a class of 25 people, though, how realistic is that? Right. Yeah. You know? And I think even because some of, a lot of them, at least in the experience that we've done with our staff meetings through Zoom, you know, not everybody's using their camera. So how do you know that they're not just literally chiming in and setting their phone and walking away and actually sure. I like this interaction. So, you know, just trying to throw the things against the wall that, you know, I'm sure people have thought about a thousand times and, and who knows, who really knows how long this is all going to be our, standard operating procedure right um you know i think everybody's just really flustered and 
probably scared a little bit and you know I, I, how many bus drivers are going to sign up to drive extra hours when they turn this in to be a part-time job so you know i'd like to think that the community as a whole is going to come together for the greater good and you know we're all going to muscle through this one way or the other but hard to say at the same time so you know i think we're just trying to it's been nice to see all the technology that's been available and really trying to reach out to the people that we have i mean you know probably a third of our staff is in their you know latter years their retirement phase and so they're not you know there's so many of them that don't even have smartphones so let alone even a computer at home so how do we get connected with them and i mean we were almost doing it just to do a check welfare on you know on our staff just to make sure they are okay and getting our messages and you know is there anything that we could help with it wasn't even a you know condemning them for not doing a training or or watching some video that they needed to watch um, just a way to, another way to connect with them. So, well, and to go back to an earlier question, one of the first questions you asked me was, what were some challenges we saw when we thought about doing our online training? Our partners up north, uh, way up north on the reservation, have incredibly poor internet services if they have them at all. Mm -hmm. So those folks, you may have the odd person here or there be able to register and get online and participate in a class but their internet service was so slow or so spotty that you could see during a class they were being bumped off and having to log in and and then we've got our outer perimeter down on the border and in the west where they're out in the middle of nowhere think of bullhead city where it's the middle of mountains yeah. and reception is awful so as much as this technology is wonderful it's not a fit for everybody. And so how do you answer that? If you're going to offer, you know, if Kaylee offers a consortium, you know, hey, it's on this day at this time, there are folks who will want to participate, but maybe just due to technology or their circumstances cannot. Well, and I'd like to think that there's, there is value in that physical social networking of being in a room with your peers and working together on, you know, collective ideas or just how was your even just how was your school year you know what are some of the challenges that you dealt with and um you know how short were you did you go into the end of the year fully staffed were you fully staffed you know just some of the things that you know you're able to foster and, and yeah, have those conversations exactly. and so um you know it is it's hard because now it's who's willing to host that in this format right and so um i think most of from what i've seen most of the state organizations have for the most part postponed their conferences to later this fall um but therein lies another issue in that you know when you think about what asbo you know asbo in the springtime is typically sometimes around people's spring break um kind of bounces around dates but in the one in in july transportation people can go to that because we're not working driving a school bus you know so now that it's been moved into a weekend kind of overlapping i think it's labor day weekend so i mean we might still be able to but i think that people start to get to a point where they don't want to cough up their own personal time so um you know there's definitely gonna be some challenges obviously from that um i know taa is gonna try and do a virtual conference here along the same date range of when the actual conference was supposed to be and we're still working on that what the details of that look like but um 
you know, we're, we see value in it, obviously, and so really just trying to use it as a stepping stool for us to be able to use Zoom and Google and see what we can do to maybe enhance our membership a little bit more and, and give back a little bit. So kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm really interested to see how the different districts in the state have utilized technology and the kiddos for day-to-day -day school. Um, my grandkids were just here from California for the last week over the holiday weekend. And every single day we had to log into their school site and print up each of the kids' homework because the teacher was, you know, putting it online and, you know, they were still being held accountable because their school year goes through June. Sure. So every day they printed up their material and had to sit down and do it. And then their mom once a week has to walk up to the school and turn it all in, wow. you know, so they're making it work. They're making it work. So does, um, I just had a thought that just trickled out of my brain along the lines of, school and that virtual learning you know i think arizona is one of the first states to start back correct i think most of the other states typically start after labor day is that correct mm -hmm. yeah and we just keep starting earlier and earlier so a lot are starting at the end of july july sure. yeah. yeah we're july 30th but i know that i think chandler and higley are going even earlier they go that, third so. week sure yeah. So, I mean, what position does that put you guys in to really, I mean, now we're, we're out of the school year, you know, school year ended for most of us last week. What does that now do as a, as a nine week plan for what school year may start to look like? I mean, we haven't necessarily seen, we saw the governor said that school will be back in session for the fall, but details really haven't been released yet of what that actually looks like. I think that's coming out June 1st. Um, but what is what are some of the things that you guys are putting together or participating in, Kaylee specifically, you know, some of the other cohorts or consortiums maybe nationwide that you've been working with and what other states um, are currently putting together that you've heard, if you can share anything about that. Yeah, so um, the ADE is putting out their recommendations for reopening on Monday, and they are really just that. They're loose recommendations and guidelines. I think they're really meant more to spur additional thinking. So, you know, I hesitate to say this is going to be our plan type of a thing. It's really just kind of things that you should consider as you're creating your plan for reopening. So um, something that I will be doing and working on is creating kind of additional digging deeper considerations and the trust will host a webinar most likely in the very near future to kind of get districts talking about what those plans could look like. We keep mentioning staggered schedules and social distancing at schools and, you know, are we going to be eating lunch in the classroom or in the cafeteria? Sure. So. The webinar is meant to kind of start a lot of that discussion and offer feedback, um, crisis communications, transportation. I'll probably have Stephanie do a piece of that webinar. And then ideally, we'd like to host um, kind of like a hub or a clearinghouse where districts can submit their plans. That same idea as the consortiums where you have this idea of beg, borrow and stealing. Um, so that way you can log in and see, well, what has District A done for their transportation plan for reopening? Um, what has District B done for their staggered schedule planning? Um, so you can kind of see what different districts are doing as long as they actually submit it to us uh, sure. to share. 
have any so other, that, have any other states come out yeah. with like a so it seems like the generalized consensus nationwide is here are some things that you should be thinking about i think everybody's been thinking about this stuff for the last three months you know yeah. we were i think we we're all hopeful of okay this is the true steps and and when i think about this is like you know some of the big, bigger districts with more employees are going to have better firepower to pull those resources together but when i think about some of our friends that are in those rural districts where they are the supervisor is the trainer is the dispatcher is a bus driver they're going to be kind of swimming because now they don't necessarily have the resources to stagger start times they still have probably three four thousand kids in their district and you know several of them bus so you know i i'm wondering I mean, everybody's going to be in the same boat, unfortunately, and I think there's there's going to be a thousand ways to skin this cat, and everybody's going to take their own method and their own approach. My thought, though, is those rural districts that are going to just kind of do the bare bones, and now they get this, put in this negative light because they are not doing enough of what maybe some of their families or community members think they should be doing just because they don't have the capacity or the wherewithal to go and put that together. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. One, um, that's why you keep seeing guidelines rather than like, here's a set plan on sure. how to return. And that's because there are such differences district to district and community to community. So you really can't say this is what districts need to follow because if you're going to say that, you can't have another unfunded mandate. So if you're saying you have to do social distancing in school and all students have to be sitting six feet apart, um, well, how are you going to do that? But we see, don't have the right yeah, amount I've, of employees to guarantee. So that's why it's constantly in this format of if feasible or when possible. And these are just suggestions and guidelines for you to think about. And, you know, you should have hand sanitizer available throughout campus. Well, what does that look like? Does that mean every 40 feet, 10 feet, 20 feet? Sure. You don't know. So that's why they're always phrased that way because they can't just continue to mandate things that they're not going to back up with funding and because it's unrealistic to do that, to say all districts must follow this when it's not necessarily maybe required in every single area. Um, Something that the CDC will constantly say is it really depends on what level of community spread is in your area. A lot of our rural areas don't have um, intense community spread. Some do. And so your plans may differ depending on what level of community spread exists. So I would say, you know, I'd be cautious about just adopting whatever plan that you come across. You really need to make sure that it fits um, what's going on in your community as well as what you're actually able to enforce. And that's what I'd also stress to those districts that are panicking. You know, if we have to keep six feet apart on a bus, you know, we're only going to fit 10 people on a bus. True. It says if feasible. Well, and, and that's, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up because so many people are looking at these guidelines and changing that word guideline to requirement and it's not yeah, a requirement. That's and that's what, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're getting this out there because it, it, maybe it takes that fear and puts that back into, okay, it's not feasible for us to go buy another hundred buses and hire a hundred drivers so that we can do eight kids per bus and for how long who knows you know so then do we switch gears and we say 
you know, I can't imagine DPS getting on board with this, but what kind of partitions in between each seats? And, you know, I can see all these things that are going to be starting to seem like really egregious ideas, but at what point do we kind of go, okay, um, you know, just parents, you have to provide a mask and gloves for your kid when they get, you know, to ride the bus. No, you know, no ands, ifs, or buts. I don't know. I mean, do you have thoughts on well, that stuff? Kaylee, what do you do when there is a suggestion? Hey, we, um, it's suggested that uh, everybody not only social distances, but wear a mask when the masks aren't available. Okay, it's a suggestion, but if folks can't find the material that's suggested as right. a safe practice, then what do they do? So, I mean, I see why no one's willing to commit. Right. And that's, you know, a lot of districts I haven't quite heard. You know, some districts are, and that's why it has to be a district by district decision rather than the ADE saying all students that are three years old or older need to be wearing masks. They're not going to say that because then they're in this position that they have to fund schools to be able to provide masks to their community if they don't have it. Sure. Um, and so some districts might say, well, all of our employees have to wear masks. Some districts might say, well, employees and high school students, because they're responsible enough to keep them on and keep them on and not touch their face. Um, so there might be some differing of guidelines. And the other thing that I'll also stress is with this current situation, things change drastically in a month's oh, yeah. time frame. Sure. You know? so we're talking that school is, you know, people are going to have to start putting things in place soon. Yes. But our situation is going to look very different in six weeks when Higley and Chandler might start having to open up. Um, it's going to look very different in eight weeks when the rest of us start opening up. Sure. So it's even then we might be more in phase three by then. Maybe we'll have reverted back to phase one. And so we're not really talking about doing an on-site opening yet. So all of that I think is hard because it's so fluid still. Sure. Nine, nine weeks is a, is, not a long ways away, but it's a long ways away. And, and that's some of the things that, you know, I think from, from my perspective, being a transportation supervisor is that I'm reliant on the district emergency management team to be coming up with some of that stuff. And when they ask us to come up with plans or whatnot, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. But I think also there, there has to be a focus on, still the things that we have to get through the summer and work on during the summer, COVID or not, you know, um, for us to be successful to a, you know, a new startup launch. And so um, yeah. I think that if everybody's so focused on all of these, what if scenarios and spending all this time, all those details go get pushed aside. And then all of a sudden, Oh, the school year is here and we didn't do anything to prepare as we normally would because we've been spinning our wheels on things that, you know, we go and say, okay, what is, what is eight kids on a bus? And we have now, instead of three bell times, we have 12 bell times. Right. And so we're, we're working on this and then they go, Nope, that's too hard. Let's throw that. Well, I just spent a week putting together a plan like that. And now what does that, you know, what does that get me to getting the school year starting up? And that's why, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you working with your emergency management teams at your districts, um, that's why it really, there needs to be discussion where in the room, so to speak, but in the same Zoom room or Google Meet room where you can talk about what the expectations are as a whole, rather than to say transportation needs to create a transportation plan because you're going to have some questions. It's pointless to enforce six feet distance apart on a bus 
if they're not going to do that in the classroom, what's sure. the point? Sure. So exactly. as long as you're coordinating to where your plans make sense together, if you're, you know, encouraging social distancing in the classroom by having maybe more spaced out desks, but they're just three feet apart instead of their usual two feet apart or something. Sure. Um, and you would adopt similar principles to the bus. Okay, well, we don't have to do the whole six foot thing. Um, so we'll just stagger rows and that only makes us I mean, I, have to X amount more route. And I think so it's interesting as as when, having that conversation having it as part of the same conversation sure. that will help. I think what's interesting is when you look at, granted, these are adults, but you look at the airline industry, they're flying. I mean, for the most part, uh, some airlines are keeping the middles open, but they still have windows and aisles <laughs> filled up. So, and I doubt they're requiring masks for all of their, you know, uh, now they're starting customer. to require masks of all their passengers. Sure. So, you know, so what does that look like? And I think that it's a very similar setting. Um, I don't ride the city bus, but, you know, there would be another, um, you know, group to look at to say, what are they doing on the city bus and um, or light rail for that matter? And what is so what does public transportation look like? What are they doing? I, I pulled up alongside a city bus driver the other day. He didn't have a mask on. So, um, yeah. you know, is it required? Is it strongly recommended? Um, you know, kind of people are obviously still there are essential businesses and people got to get around. So. I just feel like for whatever reason, we're trying to reinvent a wheel just because the CDC has provided these guidelines and everybody's like, oh, we have to do that because they said so, you know. And a lot of them are no brainers. We tend to focus on the big what ifs because they are concerning. You know, there's how do you social distance on a bus? It's a confined space. Um, but there's a lot of no brainers, too, like the disinfecting of your bus regularly and, um, you know, there's simple things like that that you can do. And there's others that you're going to have to, again, get feedback from the other district team and administrators. Sure. Um, if your district team is saying, well, we need to do checks of all of our students, temperature checks. Well, what does that look like? If they're getting on a bus. Does that mean that you have to do it before they get on a bus? Right. And, and well, what happens and, when they're sick? Do they get left at the bus stop? I mean, no parent. You yeah, know, and if parents aren't exactly, home. Exactly. We're taught to we, take them. Yeah. Do not leave them at the bus stop because we don't know. And so now you're bringing a potentially infected person into the bus. You know, my thought was, do you put up like a shower curtain around the angel seat? And if they're sick, you're going into that, you know, and sitting in there. But I can see that being demeaning and demoralizing to you know a second grader because he's got to sit in this little curtain and he doesn't feel good and mom just you know send him to school already so I I think there's so many again there's so many what ifs but I think that's where it's like I was hopeful that our nation leaders and state leaders were going to put a little bit more thought process into it maybe not necessarily say you must do this but have mm-hmm. all those FAQs or those what if scenarios kind of already dialed out so that way people could go, oh, okay, maybe I'm not seeing something here and I can, yeah. it, that totally makes sense. I just didn't even think about that, you know? And I mean, luckily, I think, especially given the situation, most people, and I won't say all, but most people are being a little bit more cognizant and aware. If I'm sick, I'm not going to go into work. Sure. You know, like that's being drilled relentlessly and the same with their kids if my kid is sick i shouldn't send them to school um so as before when it was flu season and you just do that well i'm just going to go to work because i can still work uh that's not really being tolerated anymore and there's enough fear that i 
I'd hope that most people would pay attention to that and not actually send their kids to school. Um, but I also recognize that that's not always going to be the case. There's the CDC, of course, is like the designated expert right now to follow for guidelines. There's also a couple of states that I really like um, what their Department of Education puts out occasionally. Uh, Texas has a great school safety center. And so they post really good information as well as Colorado. Um, and I know that Colorado's Department of Public Health and Environment, I think it's called, they are in the process of finalizing uh, bus screening protocols that will include parent or guardians certifications for their children hmm. um, if they're seeing signs. So again, that idea of don't beg, borrow, steal, or bet, kind of look and see. Other states are developing different things. Um, I'm really interested to see what that document that Colorado puts out and see how we can modify that. Sure. Does that look every day a student's turning in a piece of paper to the bus driver that certifies that they're healthy and that nothing's wrong? Um, so at least that gives the district a little bit of protection that way. Who knows? Yeah, and I can see even just from going back to that of employees staying home when they're sick, you know, a couple of just caveats there of how long will this that be an acceptable answer to call in, you know, to not go to work, but also at the same time, 25 people not feeling well out of a, you know, a staff of 120 what is that going to now do to departments that can't pick up those uh, shortfalls, right? So, I mean, that's those are all, again, what-ifs, and, and I think just things that people need to be thinking about, not just strictly on how many kids do we put on a bus and how do we get them there, but what if I don't have the staff available? So many of our districts are going into the school year short already, right? I mean, when you think about some of the the East Valley districts that have, you know, in the in the tens and, and beyond of how many um, people they're they're short staffed, and then to add callouts on top of that, like, does that mean we put out a dialer that says the bus route's been canceled? Either they take them to school or they're available for a virtual online learning method, so that way they, you know, their bus route was canceled, but all those kids go to virtual online learning for the day. I, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of those things because I can see that becoming a thing. Right now we're telling our people, if you have even an inkling of not feeling well, regardless if it is or isn't stay home. Right. So how long does that become, you know, an, an acceptable response to why I'm not coming to work. And then, you know, just assuming it's going to get super hot here. Um, the heat and all of that is supposed to help with, you know, the spread of COVID. Um, but what does flu season coming back in November, December look like, regardless if it's the flu or, um, the pandemic? So, you know, do we see a, a uptick in that? And I don't, I mean, just again, so many different unknowns. Yeah, I think it remains, uh, standard of practice to be more accepting of the employees calling in sick. I think it'll stay that way until there's a significant reduction in community spread um, or until there's a vaccine. You know, I think there's just enough fear still associated with it that and a fear of liability, not just fear of getting it and fear of transmitting it amongst your staff, but the liability that's attached to that, I think, is strong enough um, where districts are going to 
kind of be along those mindsets, especially as long as it's a recommendation from the CDC to be forgiving and have lenient policies for employees calling in sick. I think that's kind of to be expected for a while. Um, who knows what summer will bring with COVID? There's not, there's a lot of debate whether or not the heat and the sun will kill it. Um, in controlled settings, they've seen some good things, but it's also been running rampant in dry, hot climates already um, to this point. So it's just hard to tell how our summer will affect things. Um, a lot of it is just societal based. So our behaviors and how well we keep to the social distancing guidelines and face coverings in public when social distancing is hard to maintain and things like that. Got it. So, um, as we start to plan for the new, you know, the new year, what that looks like, what taking COVID out of it, what, what should some of districts start to just start thinking about, um, as we start planning, right? Where, how do, how do we get focused back on the details to what we need to be working on? Um, Steph, is there things that you guys would recommend or that your team would recommend to, just preparing the school year in general. You said you had kind of a list of things that are kind of pertain to school year startup, so to speak. Well, just some basic considerations that I think that districts think about every year anyway. Um, taking COVID out of it, each year a school district has to consider all their all their departments and the unique you know, the unique environment that they have. Do they have construction going on throughout the school year? Are they tearing down or building new schools? How, you know, how does that how does that affect transportation? And if you are remodeling a school, you know, what does drop off and pick up look like? When you add to what we're dealing with today from an overall perspective, I think Kaylee said it originally um, just right. Transportation is one discussion that needs to be had in the in the bigger scheme of things. So whether you say transportation needs to think about facility requirements or a school district in general needs to be thinking about facility requirements, you know, vehicle requirements, uh, student safety requirements, all of those things are group conversations that, of course, from a transportation perspective, are going to be unique because that school bus you know, is a, is a rolling hot dog full of, you know, potential issues that, sure. that each district has to solve individually. Um, we can offer, Hey, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Like Kaylee said, a hub where, okay, well, what's that district doing? They kind of are the same size mine is, what are they doing? There's not a right answer for, for a whole bunch of districts in a state. There's, there's a thousand answers that work for everybody. Right. And I, yeah. I agree there. I, you know, again, like I said, just trying to work on some of the stuff that we normally would just from getting buses ready, right. Cleaning up routes, um, working on, you know, withdrawals, new imports of students and just making sure that our, even our in-service is prepared. Um, assuming that our staff is going to be able to return back as planned. So, um, you know, just like I said, those are some of the things that I think people need to consider or be aware of, you know, and not losing sight of 
the natural progression of the of the school year and the summer. Of how it so, holds, exactly. sure. And one of the things that I think districts could be mindful of, especially this year, is polling and surveying parents. Well, first of all, what does a new school year uh, safety perspective look like to parents? What do parents want? What do parents need? And then can the districts accommodate some of those? Do some of those things that parents want may mean no changes at all. And some of the things they're looking for might mean a few changes. So districts could be a little more proactive, maybe this year especially, in surveying and finding out, okay, well, are, are your children going to be driving the bus? Are, are your children going to be participating in after-school sports if we had them? If we don't have them, what does that look like? Maybe, maybe getting more information from parents on what they want and need sure. could be helpful to planning regardless of whether we're in the middle of this COVID, you know, situation or not. Kaylee, do you have thoughts on that? Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you summed it up nicely. Like, yeah. And is actually part of um, the ADE requirements or not, not requirements of guidelines. The ADE guidelines that will be coming out Monday is that polling should be taking place. Um, and I know some districts have already started that process, um, other with maybe a sample of their community members. Um, others will probably do that once they read those guidelines come Monday. So I think it'll give districts a little bit more guidance and clarity once they have a better understanding of what their community is hoping for. Uh, at the same time, if they want things to go completely back to normal, that may or may not be possible. Sure. So it's to balance that and find that middle ground between um, pleasing your community and working with them on what they'd like to see happen, but at the same time maintaining the health and safety. Yeah, we of, thought we thought about just pulling, you know, just our bus riders pulling the, the bus riding family, because I guess if you think about it, assuming that 50% are going to drive and don't want their kids on the bus, and the other 50% are fine with it, then what is that, you know... Do we even can we get rid of half those kids off of the routes and maybe tailor the routes um, in a different you know database somewhere that just says this is for this time only so that way we can really easily go back to the way it was once this hopefully goes away so um, you know but there's a, a lot of legwork there that needs to be done in order to be, to make that happen. Yeah, you I know, mean, there's some estimates that you know i think someone threw out the other day that they thought about 20 percent of people would keep their kids at home and do homeschooling until this figures itself out so you might see a reduction in your transportation if you're transporting and then those that are sending their kiddos to school still they might say well i don't really want them on a bus in a confined space. So I'll drop them off myself because I'm still working remotely and I can do that. I have flexibility now. So you might still, you know, even including that basic question and polling of did your student ride the bus last year and are they planning on riding it this year? Just so you can see that difference. Steph, you have a comment? No, I was just going to say that this is almost one of those chores that you do where in order to get the actual chore done, you have to do like five things before it, before you can even address that chore. This this is just a mammoth undertaking of, okay, well, do we eventually have to answer that what if question? Yes, we do. But to get there, we have to do these things first. 
And it's just a matter of being organized. And I, I really think that Kaylee said it the best. It's a group conversation department by department. Yeah. But I think also state, you know, I, I've seen some emails trickling around about everybody kind of, as far as transportation goes, a, a big transportation email that's been going around people trying to throw some ideas around what they've been doing or what their plans are. And I think that for the most of us that can in some way, shape or form come and formulate one singular plan that we can take back to our management teams to say, this is what 80% of the districts in the state are going to be doing. And have, we've all agreed that this seems the most feasible that maybe by chance they would, you know, be willing to accept that. But I also know that a lot of this has, a, a more of a communal vibe you know their community has to be acceptant of it and make sure that it it does fit the community so i mean like i said we all have the same questions and you know we've all seen all the comments in either news articles or social media about this is we can't do this and there's no way they're out of their mind and i think this is where we're just gonna have to collectively come together and kind of just step up to the step up to the challenge you know we're gonna have to fly across the grand canyon <laughs> by by running and jumping and we know it looks like we're gonna fail but i think hey no i grew up on evil knievel it's totally possible sure. yeah <laughs> well I, I think that's just you know i i was talking to one of my other colleagues and i just said you know as much as we want to say this isn't going to work and whatnot the reason why we're here is for kids right this isn't because it's benefiting me or it's benefiting their parents or it's benefiting teachers it's we need to educate our students and get them to figure out how to get them there safely so that they can continue their education. And when you think about some of the, the steps they've taken back just in the last quarter, because they weren't able to go to school and, you know, people who didn't have access to computers or technology or whatnot, or were working off those paper packets that you've been printing out, you know, they're going to see an educational slide probably. And, you know, so if we can figure out how to, collectively come together and come up with a plan that may not be pretty and is going to be hard it's we're all you know we're just doing it for for the kids so i think that's that's the main message that if everybody listening can take away is you know we're just gonna put our heads down and muscle through it and we know that that's not what exactly we signed up for we only signed up for maybe six hours of easy bus driving on my easy route but you know now i'm being asked to do nine ten hours a day Maybe, you know, I, we just don't know what that looks like. And so I would hope that most of our staff just recognizes the, you know, the, the reason we need them. So we'll see. Well, and I think Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that it's temporary, you know, sure. this is the new normal for now. So yeah, you might have to do those prolonged days of nine to 10 hours. Um, but that's not going to be your life forever. Right. It's just right now. Sure. Sure. And these kind of conversations are, are what will each little one class or one podcast or one article that we all read is going to have a nugget of information in there that's going to help somebody else. Right. And each time one of these new items comes out, right. just puts that much more information out there that folks need. So Jason, it's good that you're you know, you're doing this. Yeah, we're trying to get it out there. And I and I think, you know, what I'm really excited about is what we're going to hopefully be able to do with TAA and the virtual conferences. We're going to have 
really a let's talk session where we're going to have for the administrators come together, support staff like trainers and routers and, you know, have a room for them and then just have kind of some guided conversation that we can all virtually do this like we are right now. Um, some face-to-face and, you know, still have that feel of, of the conference, but we can actually come together and hear from our peers about some of the things that maybe they're hearing from their leadership teams or things that they've been actively working on. And, you know, maybe we'll we'll be able to take that nugget out or, you know, maybe TAA comes together with the trust and says, hey, this is something that um, we all feel strongly about that seems to really work well for you know, 90% of the districts that are out there, we're not saying that this is a requirement, but this is a very strong emphasis on a guideline that we would like to see that seems to fit, hopefully beyond not just transporting eight students, you know, something more like 25 or 30, potentially, you know, or a full bus, you know, I don't know. So, um, but I think I'm, I'm very excited to see what those conversations are as we get to that virtual conference. So, yeah. Sounds great. Yeah, I agree. So we've just about hit an hour, so I do appreciate you guys coming in. We'll wrap it up. Uh, Anything, any final closing thoughts from Steph? No, no. You guys are all doing the hard work out there. There's information. You can find it. You just have to look for it. Um, everybody's, Everybody's doing the hard work. So, Jason, thanks for doing this. And Kaylee, I hope you're getting a minimum of your eight hours of sleep every day because I know you're a popular girl right now. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> well, she didn't give us the tour, and it's too bad we're not we're not able to record the video so we could actually see her whole office and everybody could could see her new office. So yeah, your swanky new office. Yeah, swanky new office. Any dig. any final thoughts from you, Kaylee? Um, just hang in there, you know, and. I feel like as long as you stay connected to your people, then that's what matters most. Um, you know, look for those opportunities to commiserate, but then pull yourself out of it and just move forward. Uh, because, yeah, it kind of situation sucks and there could be a lot of better things, but we're getting through it and we're getting through it as good as we can. And so I'd say just keep looking for those different outlets, those different guidelines and recommendations. Um, and don't have a heart attack every time, just barrel through and work collectively as a team and with your people, and you'll have the best options after that. Well said. So I do appreciate you guys. Thank you for coming on, spending an hour with me and our listeners. This will air tomorrow. So, yeah, tomorrow will be up up tomorrow morning. Uh, So thanks for everybody for stopping by listening again. Uh, check us out on the uh, social media platforms. We're on what Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. Check out the website www.heybusdriver.com. And until then, we will uh, see everybody later. Stay safe and take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Hey Bus Driver. Thanks for being part of our community. If you're a student transportation professional, you are part of our family. The show is coming to a close, but you can reach out online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. And check out the website at www.heybusdriver.com. Till next time, this is Hey Bus Driver, signing off.